Welcome to episode 37 of the T-Draft for Film Buff podcast, also known as the last episode of 2019, recording here on New Year's Eve officially. Um, as I mentioned, the last couple of weeks is going to be kind of a breakdown, countdown of the best of 2019, best of the decade, since this is officially the last day of the decade. Um, let's go ahead and jump right in. I got a couple other lists, not necessarily in order, best performances, best moments, scenes, scores, trailers, you know, that sort of thing. But let's go ahead and jump right into the best of the year, um, since some of these may end up being on best of the decade, but we shall see. I ranked them to 30. We can go go pretty quickly through the last five years, since it's more important to talk about the top 25 um 30 Zombieland 2 29 is Gloria Bell one of the big surprises of the early part of 2019 uh 28 is Us which was in the top five for a majority of the first half of the year um and just kind of fell out you know as bigger better movies came out towards the end of the year 27 is Richard Jewell 26 is The Lion King Another one of those movies that kind of just uh, was in like the top 10, top 15. Then when you kind of think about it, um, how much I actually enjoyed it compared to the other ones, just kind of move farther down the list. Still love the movie. Still will watch it again anytime. Just uh, not in the top 25. 25 for me is Jumanji, the next level. Perhaps, and I'm scanning through the list, perhaps the most fun movie of the year. Sands for maybe the number three on my list, um, but perhaps the most fun nonstop action, but full of heart and humor. Uh, I mentioned it on the review a couple weeks ago, but I really do like that movie quite a bit. That comes in at number 25. Number 24 is an absolutely heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, tearjerker of a movie that is also just happens to be about dogs, which could be a theme for the rest of the, the list couple more films that maybe maybe have a lot to do with dogs or a dog plays a big role in the movie just a hint for what's to come uh a dog's journey is is um, it's one of the it's weird it's weird thing because i had watched the first movie dog's purpose a couple hours before i had seen a dog's journey so i didn't really have a couple years to wait for this one was kind of delaying it for quite a while just because I felt like it was one of those manipulative movies and from a certain extent uh, it kind of is it does you know in a way manipulate in you into feeling a certain emotion or, or feeling but um but it does it damn well so I can't really fault the movie for that number 23 is Ford v Ferrari just a solid solid movie there's nothing really outwardly wrong about this movie but there's nothing extraordinary about it either. The performances are, are really, really solid. I hope that Bale gets nominated. doesn't look like Damon's anywhere close to getting nominated, but uh, Bale certainly has a chance. Cinematography's gorgeous. The the car slash, I guess you can call my action scenes, fantastically you know, shot and filmed, um, keep you on the edge of your seat throughout the entire runtime of the film. And it is decently long film as well so number 22 i think if i'm checking correctly may be one of the most recent movies to addition to this list um and that would be driveways um small independent movie only was able to see it via the indie spirit awards link uh, however it is uh impactful it's emotional but it's also just kind of about period of time in life there's not really any specific plot or overarching story it's just kind of a slice of life movie and and you know when those movies hit they hit really really well for me um and and i could say the same about driveways it was it was just a very very enjoyable film that isn't necessarily about enjoyable subject matter um but i couldn't keep my eyes off the what was it 83 minute runtime it's a quick one so highly suggest that one. I don't think many people have seen it. Number 21 for me is Frozen 2. Maybe you could say it's not as good as the first one. I don't know. I think I might even like it more, to be honest. There's certainly some plot problems, if you will. Um, but certainly the bond between the, the, the sisters 
is nothing quite like anything Disney's done uh, in terms of like have they had another great sister animated princess movie or just animated movie in general I know they make a bunch of movies like that for Disney Channel like I could think of like four or five right off the top like Mary Kate and Ashley have a couple movies that you know were on Disney Channel back in the day you had was it double teamed uh, was that basketball one about sisters uh, oh gosh what was it uh, the one with the um, no what oh yeah 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 well, Ellie and AJ had one as well I mean they make movies that deal specifically with the sister relationship via like Disney Channel but have the animated movies done much? I don't think so. It feels like Frozen's the only real franchise that has for Disney. Um, so it just kind of feels different. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the soundtrack's just absolutely phenomenal. At least the first four or five really good ones are, and then there's a couple stinkers towards the end of the soundtrack. But Frozen 2 was great. Number 20 for me is Ready or Not. Uh, again, just like Jumanji, just a very fun movie just fun and uh i thought that trailer i remember when i first watched it in theaters whatever movie that was in the summer when it first came up i was like this movie could either be absolutely terrible or it can be an absolute blast and luckily it was an absolute blast and i'm just i'm really just thrilled that that movie was good and it made you know, a, a decent chunk of money i don't think it you know blew the box office out of the water but um yeah i, I really liked ready or not Let's go to number 19. That would be The Farewell. Perhaps one of the only films remaining on my list that has a legitimate shot at Best Picture. Or at least a nomination, I should say. I don't think The Farewell is going to win. But I think it has a chance to get it nominated. Um, just a, a really, really well-written movie that came with some surprises in the story. Um, that were very welcomed, but I certainly had no idea that they were going to structure the story uh, the way they did, especially the last 20 minutes or so. Um, I was kind of taken aback with the direction it went, but I absolutely loved it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's one of those movies that is a is, is based on a true story that I hope nobody really knows much going in, because you know you could have like. Um, uh, what was the movie we saw? Like Richard Jewell, right? So like, I I I know the some I knew somewhat the story going in. Like I knew the guy didn't actually get convicted or anything. Uh, I knew his life was ruined, um, and I knew he wasn't alive anymore. I didn't necessarily know like how until I looked it up maybe a day or two before or something. Which maybe I should have just left, but um, I I don't know. But it, anyway, it's. This one seems for the farewell. I, I hope that you really don't even know the story going in because I think that the surprises that it takes um, and the direction that I think, was it Lulu Wong is the director? Let me make sure I get that right. Um, that she takes uh, direction-wise is um, it's really, really fantastic. And as I looked this up on IMDb, I just saw an ad for 1917 that came up. It makes me mad that that movie wasn't uh, in theaters here in the Chicagoland area before... I can make this list because I have not seen that movie yet. Yeah, Lulu Wong is the director. I can't wait to see what she does um, in the future because uh, her, her her direction in The Farewell is absolutely fantastic. Um, but let's see here. I think she has actually a better shot than, or she should have a better shot than Greta Gerwig does for Little Women at a Best Director nomination. I don't think I'm going to talk much about Little Women. It's certainly not on my list, but I don't think there's going to be much of a chance unless it gets nominated for a bunch of Oscars. But a uh, quick, brief review on Little Women. I don't think um, I don't think it needed to be told uh, non-linearly, right? Like it's um, it's a very, very well-acted movie. Everything is shot beautifully. I think Greta Gerwig's direction in the scenes, if you're just looking at them at face value, are, are really well done. But I think her choice of doing the story non-linearly hurt my overall enjoyment of the film. I just think it, it just felt choppy. That's almost too harsh of a word, but it just it just felt unnecessary. Like it felt they were keeping stuff from us that they didn't need to keep because they kept flashing back and then flashing back forward. Anyway, this list is not about little women. Let's go back to the list. Number eighteen is The King. The Timmy Chalamet movie from Netflix starring Bobby Batts himself, Robert Pattinson, uh, Joel Edgerton 
Um, who else is in that movie? Sean Harris has a great role. Um, Lily Rose Depp has a great scene or two that she has in there. Um, yeah, the King is it's it was it's almost like a better version of Outlaw King from last year, starring Chris Pine. Um, so I would check out the King on Netflix. Number seventeen for me is Fighting with My Family. Uh, one that I you know when I'm looking at my the actual number rankings I give all these movies before uh, I put them in my list for the year as the year's going. Uh, Fighting with My Family is way lower than most of these movies. But I just, I'm looking at, like, I've already seen the movie two or three times now. I can't wait to see it again. I can't wait to listen to the director's commentary for that with uh, Steve Merchant. They do own the movie. Um, but it's just a really, really well-told story on something that I, I couldn't give two shits about, you know? I don't care about wrestling. Uh, I didn't know anything about Paige going into the film. Um... Like, I didn't need a movie starring The Rock where he's playing himself. Like, I like The Rock movies uh, when he's not feeding too much into the, the wrestling persona. But Fighting With My Family just felt different to me. It legitimately felt like a, a movie about wrestling that you could watch with your entire family. Um, and it's very rewatchable. Like, that's it felt like the coming out party for Florence Pugh, um, who was fantastic. Uh, in Little Women, who was amazing in Midsommar, which I'm just not a fan of the movie, um, but I thought she was incredible. Uh, she was really good in Outlaw King. Uh, she looks like she's going to be great in Black Widow. So, Fun with My Family has my vote for a lot of praise this year. Uh, number 16 for me is Parasite. That's going to be probably almost too low on a lot of people's lists. Uh, they have it you know, in the top five, it's probably going to get nominated for Best Picture. It will win Best Foreign Film or Best International Feature, as I think they renamed it. Um, but for me, Parasite is, and now since I own it, because I got the screener for it, um, it's, it is a really unique, uh, it just fascinating story and something I never thought I'd actually see like at every turn i was like i don't think that's gonna happen is it and something completely different happens um and then the final 15 minutes is absolute chaos and i still don't really know how i feel about that um which is why it's probably a little lower maybe it's in the top 10 with another watch or two but uh, for now it's at number 16 number 15 is perhaps on my list the most underrated film of the year and a film that i think if it was if it had a different director if it came out maybe a couple months later, um, and if it had maybe a little bit more mainstream elements to it, it could be nominated for Best Picture, and that's Official Secrets. I think it's the best journalism slash investigative film of the year. Um, Kira Knightley just turns in another really great, I guess you could say, period piece performance from her. I think that's her favorite thing to do, to be honest, um, is, is acting period pieces. Just about the only thing she does. Um, yeah, Official Secrets. I can't wait to own that film and, and watch it again. It's riveting. It is riveting. I mean, that's that's probably the best way I would describe it. It's absolute riveting. Um, let's go to number 13, The Peanut Butter Falcon. This this is, I mean, this will just put a smile on your face. Kind of similar to Fighting With My Family, actually. It's about wrestling in a way. I don't care about wrestling. Um... But this kid's story, I mean, it, it it's not based on a true story in a sense. Um, it's sort of, in a way, based on the inspiration that Zach Gotskin, Gotskin I think his name is, uh, gave to the writers. They kind of, I think, the, I think I remember watching an interview, and I think they said that they were uh, the camp counselors or something, and he, he came up to them and he told them this idea he had for a film, and they were already kind of involved in the business, and they, they said they were going to make it. They were going to find a way to make it. And luckily, they got they were able to make him the star of the film. It brought Shia on board. Gave a, a great performance from him. Should be nominated. He won't be nominated for either Honey Boy or this, sadly. Uh, got a fantastic performance out of Dakota Johnson, which, to my understanding, is a little bit unique uh, in a way. Um, but, yeah, check out The Peanut Butter Falcon. That's That's a great movie. Let's go to number 12, and that is Loose. Kind of solidified its position the other night as I rewatched the film. 
Um, Kelvin Harrison Jr. is going to be a star, much in the same way that Florence Pugh is, and that was this was her coming out party. Uh, Kelvin Harrison Jr.'s coming out party was loose, and of course, Waves, which would come on a couple months later, um, which will not be on my list, but both equally just unsettling performances in a way. Um, you still, even after watching it twice, I still don't really know where I fall in my opinions on some of the characters in this film, some of the decisions that they make. Um, but that is exactly the point of the movie to spark conversation. And it absolutely has. It, stick to, it's, it has stuck, excuse me, in my brain um, and in the top of mind, essentially, since, since I saw it in August, I believe it was. Um, and it's stayed in the top 15. Uh, even after quite a few movies that were released after it, after it uh, you know, jumped it. So let's go to number 11. That's Toy Story 4, a film that was in the top five for a majority of the year. And as I reworked the list, I was like, I just like the other movies more. But that's not necessarily to you know denigrate anything about Toy Story 4. I think it's a really great Woody movie. You know, I would agree. Maybe it's not the best Toy Story movie, not the best sequel to Toy Story 3, since I think they just wanted to do a final send-off to Woody, um, which I, th- I still think if they were to ever do a Toy Story 5, they're not doing it without any of these characters. Um, so either you don't do a Toy Story 5 and you just do another Woody movie, or you just keep doing short films that kind of have, take place in between these movies or something, I just don't understand how you could you could ever do another Toy Story movie without Woody, Buzz, Jesse, you know. No, I mean it just wouldn't work. So you'd have to have all of them in there. But yeah, the so long partner line in this is, um, yeah, it's it's getting me emotional just thinking about it. To me, the the final goodbyes he gives to everybody, while quick, uh, very emotional. Not on par with Toy Story three, but it's close. Uh, number 10 for me is Togo, another recent addition to the list, another film about dogs, about one specific dog who many deem is perhaps the greatest animal to ever live, or the bravest animal to ever live, and that's the one that was overshadowed by Balto. Um, a dog sled race, uh, racer, race dog, um, who helped, you know, save a, a few towns from, from, Sickness back in 1925. Um, Willem Dafoe is fantastic. The dog who plays Togo. Uh, you know, not much, not many words can be said. It's um, it's just an emotional one. It's an emotional one to say the least. And um, very glad that that movie killed it. Um, and to me, that's Disney Plus's first great original film. Have not even still have not checked Noel out. Still have not checked Leading the Tramp out. Um, a couple other things I still haven't watched, but Togo, fantastic. Number nine is Jojo Rabbit. Um, movie that I really, really liked, and the final ten minutes happened, and I absolutely loved it, and I knew this was going to make my top ten by the end of the year. Um, and it, so it did. So the young kids give great performances, Thomas and Mackenzie's, is extraordinary, just like she is in Leave No Trace last year. I think she's got a bright future. I think the use of the, the soundtrack, uh, Taika Waititi's humor, um, the, just the twist on the, the overall story of Hitler and in and, and that time period is is great. It's like a it's, it's almost like a Disneyfied version of Tarantino in a way. Disney might be pretty strong, but it is it is a, a light Tarantino. You know, kind of twist on, on uh, history. And I really, really enjoyed that. Number eight is Wild Rose. Perhaps the most underseen film on this list, along with Official Secrets. Um, it's a special film. I love movies that are about the pursuit of dreams and music, as you're going to see a lot of that on my top 25 of the decade list. Um, but Wild Rose is a, is a special film with a great last song, a great lead performance from Jesse Buckley, um, a really great script from Tom Hooper, uh, great stuff all around. And uh, I can't wait to watch his Aeronauts movie. I don't know why I haven't checked that out yet, but I, I got to see that. 
Number seven for me is Knives Out. Saw it again the other day. Uh, once again, just a, a very, very well done film. Uh, a film for people of all ages. And, you know, to me, this may be... Uh, God, there's a couple others ahead of this that might might beat it. But it might be the best script of the year. Uh, along with Marriage Story. Along with... A, a, did I skip Marriage Story, by the way? I don't even know if I mentioned that. But that was number 14 for me. Uh, watched that about a week and a half ago. I think I totally skipped it. Now I'm, I'm like, did I even talk about that movie? But yeah, it's number 14. That was after uh, Official Secrets and before Peanut Butter Falcon. But anyway, let's go back to Wild Rose. Uh, but or not Wild Rose. Knives Out. One of the best scripts of the year, along with the movie coming, along with a couple of the movies coming up right after this. Uh, Loose is a great script. Peanut Butter Falcon's a great script. Uh, JoJo has a great script. Parasite. I mean, there's a lot of movies. Farewell. Um, yeah, it's just so intricate. Uh, it feels like Ryan Johnson fixed everything. Of like, he probably sat in a room. He's like, okay, there could be this plot hole here, plot hole here. We have to wrap up this. We have to tie up that. We have to make sure that makes sense and this makes sense. And when we come here in this scene, make sure it's before that scene happens, so the audience doesn't realize this. It's like one of the most incredible scripts uh, of the last ten years. Did not make my top twenty-five of the decade, but uh, I certainly thought about it. Uh, let's go to number six, and that's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Another great script, another just original film from Tarantino. I loved it the second I saw it. Uh, I wanted to see it again. I did, I believe, I saw it a couple days later. Um, and to me, it's it's Brad Pitt's best performance. It's the most cool performance of the decade. Um, one of the most cool characters of the decade. And DiCaprio kills it as well. Like, if DiCaprio wasn't as big as he was, we probably wouldn't even be praising as much for this role. Um, or we, we probably would be praising him more for this role, I should say. Um, because he's already so big anyway, people just don't, aren't even giving him as much credit. Um, and, of course, you know, the last 15, 20 minutes, without spoiling anything, is, <laughs> is absolutely bonkers. It is freaking bonkers. Uh, number five is Booksmart for me. Saw it twice in theaters as well. Um, what a great first feature from Olivia Wilde. Uh, you, you just you, this type, this good of a film, you don't expect it to uh, to hit you as well as, as as her film did here. One of the one of my favorite shots of the entire year is, is her one take around Caitlin Deaver and Beanie Feldstein having the fight and the party. Uh, I love that one shot. Um, soundtrack is great. The film is hilarious, even on repeated viewings. I listened to her commentary, and you could tell there was just tons of love and um, just heart that went into this film. So I really, really enjoyed Booksmart. Moving back further into the top five, that is number four, Blinded by the Light. Uh, perhaps contains maybe one of, if not the favorite scene of the year, when they play Born Run, and it's... You absolutely get to go around the entire, basically, city, and they're singing Born to Ride. Like, that's, that's special filmmaking. Again, it's about pursuing dreams. It has to do with music. Um, yeah, to me, that's, uh, yeah. I, I don't even know what to say. Blinded by the Light, you need to see it. Not enough people did. Did not make a lot of money. It's kind of another Amazon movie that just kind of got swept under the, the rug, and not enough people saw it, and it just it just went away. Number three is The Rise of Skywalker. Saw it for a fourth time yesterday. I just, I think there's so much special about this movie. There's so much, if you listen to the four, if you listen to the Force Center uh, podcast with Ken Napsok and Joseph Scrimshaw, I think they really break down exactly, you know, sure, there were problems behind the scenes, and sure, there were things that, you know, they didn't plan at the beginning that they threw into this movie, but for some reason, it was like a perfect storm of everything for me. Uh, I mean, everything added up. It, everything made sense to me. And and I don't want to keep using this phrase, but this film is special, man. It is a special, special movie uh, that everyone needs to see. Even if you're not Star Wars fans, I think you'll enjoy this one. I'm trying to think if, like... I mean, there's certain things, like, I don't think you're going to grasp everything that's happening in the, in the uh, 
if we just give it the be with me scene uh, without spoiling too much it, you may not grasp the weight of that scene without seeing all eight films prior um but just ray in general is such a great character that i think it's pretty universal number two and one shouldn't be any surprise but we'll go to number one first and talk about number two at the same time to remove the suspense if you will if there wouldn't even if there would even be a suspense at this point number one is how to train a dragon the hidden world and number two is avengers endgame you can flip-flop these all day long but uh the feeling i had during the first viewing of the hidden world is something i will never ever forget could be mentioned later on you never know um and avengers endgame i mean there's certain scenes in that film that are some of the best cinemas ever brought to the screen, whatever Martin Scorsese has to say about it. Uh, so those are my two favorite movies of the year, and it was never any thought, and never any doubt that those were going to be my two favorite. Uh, and that's the list of 2019 favorites. Let's kind of go through my other you know thoughts about this decade, because we had, you know, like, let, let's, let's go through this. Because I have, like, you know, best scores of the decade. I think something like Inception, Interstellar, Social Network, Gone Girl, Endgame, The Adjustment Bureau, Dark Knight Rises, The Spectacular now has a great score. Gravity has a very unique and, and fantastically riveting score. Man of Steel, of course, gets a lot of praise. It's a great score. Mad Max Fury Road, that score is insane. Um, Junkie XL's score for that. Uh, Sicario has a very haunting score. La La Land, of course, as much praise as people give the songs in that movie. Justin Hurwitz's score is fantastic. Rise of Skywalker, that's the best John Williams there ever has been. Don't at me. Arrival has a very unsettling, eerie score, but also beautiful towards the end. Uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, that's the best Mission Impossible score we've ever had. Um, Lauren Balfe does an incredible job with that. And, of course, the How to Trinder Dragon scores. Uh, I think this list is less it's more thrown together than than I'd like it to be but best trailers of the decade you have Interstellar Man of Steel all the Hunger Games trailers are great Gone Girl Inception Deathly Hallows trailers are really great the teaser for Dark Knight Rises X-Men Days of Future Past when they use the the Sunshine score and then they go into the Hans Zimmer um, Thin Red Line score is fantastic um, the Batman v Superman Comic Con trailer, the unsettlingness uh, of the Annihilation trailer, was something unmatched. And of course, the movie was, uh, oof. yeah, there's a lot to say about that movie, but it was incredible. That's all. That's all you can really say. It was incredible. Uh, again, Mission Impossible Fallout had a fantastic couple trailers when they used that Imagine Dragons song. Is it Imagine Dragons? I don't even know. I'm not a big music guy anymore besides scores, but it, whatever the song that was, they kind of used it in in, uh, in junction with, with the actual score itself was really great. Uh, the first Infinity War trailer uh, was incredible because he had the Guardians reveal at the end. You had the Sam Jackson voiceover when he's like, there was an idea to bring together a group of people um, that would become something greater, whatever it is, and they all have their little line that they put in there, and it's... Um, that's great. A trailer that nobody ever talks about because the, mo- the movie was absolutely panned. It was a movie like Life Itself. Uh, had a fantastic trailer. Of course, Rise of Skywalker had some great trailers too. Um, we're going to like best or favorite characters of the decade. You have Dom Cobb from Inception. You had Sam Rockwell on the way way back. Katniss was a memorable character. Both leads in Gone Girl, but specifically... Um, Amy Dunn in that movie. Oof. Unsettling is all hell. Rita in Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal in Nightcrawler. Furiosa. Ilsa in Mission Impossible. Ray. Uh, the Sing Street folks. Great characters. Cap and Iron Man. Mia, Mia and Sebastian. I love Janelle Monet in Moonlight. Uh, Paddington. Caesar. Logan. Ladybird. Hiccup and Toothless. Archie and Jojo Rabbit and Brad Pitt and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And going, kind of going along with that is uh, some of my favorite performances uh, of the decade. Uh, not necessarily characters, but favorite performances. You have like Christian Bale in The Fighter, Natalie Portman in Black Swan, and Jackie. Uh, the two leads in The Social Network. 
the two leads and like crazy, but specifically Felicity Jones because um, you know her performance in that phone call scene, some of the best acting you'll ever see. Oh boy, where did we begin? Leo and Django. Um, oh God, what is his name? I can't even think of his name. Uh, gosh, The Hunt. Oh God, Mads Mikkelsen in The Hunt. That's a performance to watch. Um, Jessica Chastain in Zero Dark Thirty, uh, as well as Molly's Game, actually. Uh, Sam Rockwell in Way, Way Back. Of course, Sandra Bullock in Gravity. Another DiCaprio in Wolf of Wall Street in Revenant. Um, Tom Hanks in, in Captain Phillips. His last scene in that movie is extraordinary. Uh, of course, Jake in, in Nightcrawler is really great. J.K. Simmons in Whiplash. Charlize Theron in Mad Max. Saoirse Ronan in just about everything, but specifically Brooklyn. I think that that is probably her best performances, as well as in Lady Bird, too. But uh, Brie Larson in Room, Amy Adams in Arrival, Emma Stone in La La Land, Casey and Michelle uh, in Manchester by the Sea, Viola Davis and Denzel Washington in Fences, uh, Mahershala Ali in Moonlight, Margot Robbie and I, Tanya. I think she was robbed that year of an Oscar. Of course, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper in A Star is Born, Emily Blunt in A Quiet Place, Downey Jr. in Endgame, Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and of course this year, the guy who's probably going to win the Oscar for Best Actor, Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker. Uh, let's see here. What do we want to go to next? I think like best scenes of the decade slash theater moments I will never forget, like anything in Dark Knight Rises, Gravity, Man of Steel the end of catching fire when she's looking into the camera the throne room in the last jedi everything in la la land the airport sequence in civil war the montage you know tribute to um, paul walker in furious seven with the see you again song playing in the background the throat slit and gone girl uh the bookshelf scene slash the mountain scene in, in um, interstellar which turns into waves of course uh, Baymax getting stuck in that building in, in Big Hero 6. I will never forget the reaction me and my sister had in the theater. Um, the projector scene in It. Of course, No Man's Land and Wonder Woman. Uh, the snap in Infinity War slash both the entrances. The bathroom fight in Fallout. Um, the end of Annihilation. The bathtub scene in A Quiet Place. Dancing Queen sequence in Ma Mamma Mia. Uh, Hiccup getting saved by Light Fury is a homage to the uh, him getting saved in, in How to Train Your Dragon. Uh, of course, like I mentioned already, Be With Me scene in Rise of Skywalker. The Born Run scene in Blinded by the Light. When his smile forms in the Joker at the end. I don't want to say it, but the head scene in Hereditary. Everybody knows what I'm talking about there. Um... Of course, the ending fight on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And last but not least, the Avengers Assemble scene in Avengers Endgame. Um, I think I wrote down a couple other scenes, but, you know, like the hospital scene in Gifted. Um, the end of Instant Family is really great. The final goodbye in the hidden world is fantastic. When Heroes plays in JoJo in German is really great. Um just the ending of Arrival when things come together. I will never forget that. The Eddie the Eagle jump um, when Jump plays by um, Van Halen. Oof. Um, the ending of St. Vincent. The, the flash forward scene in Deathly Hallows. Uh, the fight scene in the Social Network when uh, Andrew Garfield comes to confront Jesse Eisenberg about what he's done to the contract. Uh, is Dom Cobb uh, in dream, in a dream, or is he, you know, awake in Inception? Uh, the ending of Toy Story three. It, there's just so many good things. I mean, even like the poop scene in The Big Sick is really great. The apology scene in Manchester by the Sea. Uh, yeah, I, I can't even begin to comment on all of these things I wrote down. But let's go ahead and get into my um, underrated films. Uh, of the decade since I'm pretty sure that's the last one before we get to the actual best films of the decade uh, okay most unrated films of the decade Insandies or Incendi I believe is pronounced by Denis Villeneuve 
foreign film, but check it out. Warrior. Nobody talks about that sports movie, but it is absolutely fantastic. Your Sister's Sister starring Emily Bunt. Like crazy, I've already mentioned it once today, but it is really great. The Intouchables. Um, the foreign film that The Upside is based on, essentially. Uh, the Impossible. Perks of Being a Wallflower. Ruby Sparks is really great. Francis Ha. The Spectacular Now. What If. Short Term 12. Ain't Them Body Saints, The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby, Him and Her, Locke, Predestination, St. Vincent, Man Up, Victoria, Eddie the Eagle, Your Name, Colossal, Nocturnal Animals, Storks, Revenge, Only the Brave, Stronger, Anna and the Apocalypse, Beast, Gifted, Wild Rose, The Hate You Give, Official Secrets, and Fighting with My Family are all films that need to be talked up about more than they actually are now so let's go ahead and finally get into my favorite films from the decade we're going to start at the bottom number 25 and 24 two ben affleck movies um 25 is the town it's a film i actually haven't seen in about three or four years but uh i own a couple versions of the film um and i i think that this is ben affleck's maybe best directed film i think i like gone baby gone more but i think if we're talking about best directed film this is better than argo is and i love argo as well but uh 24 is gone girl this movie has grown on me so much since the first time i saw it in theaters i just wasn't sure how i felt about the ending but now after seeing it so many times i am blown away uh, by david fincher's directing and i'm still waiting for him to get back into the film business because as great as Mindhunter may be, he needs to make more movies. Number 23, Mad Max Fury Road. is actually the last addition to this list. I could not figure out what that last 25th movie was. I knew I wanted it to be The Town and Gone Girl, 25 and 24, but what was 23 going to be? I was deciding between a couple of movies, um, and I settled on Mad Max Fury Road. That is perhaps the best action movie of the decade, aside from uh, a movie that will be in my top five. Um, and it spawned one of the great female characters of the last 20 years or so with uh, Furiosa and Charlize Theron. Number 22 is Avengers Infinity War. So perhaps you can't really add this movie without you know, adding the other half uh, of the list, but we'll, we'll get to that movie eventually, or will we? Um, but it, the, that movie is a blast. It's a ride. It involves every Marvel character in the history of Marvel characters. Um, and number 21, then, is The Big Sick. I think it might be. Now, let me look. One, two. It's one of, like, two or three rom-coms on this list. Um, and it actually ends up turning into more of a rom-drom. I love that it's based on a true story. I love that it takes place in Chicago. Uh, I think both lead performances are really, really great. Um, and not something you see in, in a romantic movie, perhaps since, like, When Harry Met Sally or 500 Days of Summer, just how good these two are together. Uh, but that's the big sick. We're going to move over to 20, and that's Man Up. I think those two can kind of be you know, rearranged any which way. I, I really do love both those movies, but um, we're going with Man Up there. One of the biggest surprises. Just done it, did not even know I would enjoy that movie. Loved it, bought it instantly after. Number 19 is Lady Bird. So another movie I was excited about because of Saoirse Ronan, and I liked Greta Gerwig, but I, just, well, I didn't know if that, was, that movie was for me. Uh, but I connected with, with it in ways I, I didn't think I would. Um, I think the final scene in which she calls her mom, um, just one of the most powerful scenes in film over the last 10 years, to me at least, um, especially seeing her mom drive around the city and the voiceover that plays. It's, it's powerful stuff. Number 18 might be controversial because I don't think a lot of people like this one as much as they do the other films in the franchise. And that's Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. To me, like I've always said, excuse me, endings go a long way for me. If you nail the ending and it moves me, then that gets my vote as the best of the series, which is probably why I'm thinking that Rise of Skywalker is going to eventually leap over Force Awakens. It's why Avengers Endgame eventually leaped over everything else in the MCU for me, um, which may be spoiling my list to come. Um, but I, I don't know. There's something about that flash forward scene. It just kind of 
brings everything together. There's so many other scenes in this movie that wrap things up in such a perfect way. Perhaps, other than Malfoy, could have used one last scene with Malfoy. Uh, but let's go on to number 17, and that's Captain America Civil War. For a while, I thought that this might be my favorite Marvel uh, movie. Then I went back to another one. Then I went back to a new one. Then I went back to a new one again. But Civil War is still um, an incredible feat for the MCU, even though now looking back, you're like, oh, that, that must have been an easy compared to Infinity War or Endgame or... Um, you know, even something like Black Panther, which uses a lot of CGI. Like, in terms of spectacle, Civil War, now looking back, doesn't look as big. But that airport scene in Civil War is um, still top top three or four scenes in the MCU in the history uh, of that franchise. So, uh, number 16 is Man of Steel. That Hans Zimmer score goes a long way for me. As does Christopher Nolan's writing, as does the action shot by Zack Snyder. Love Cavill, I need him more as Superman. Um, that is number 16. Let's go on now to number 15, which would be Arrival. It's one of those movies that I don't even think it's really on my like all-time list that high. But when I'm making this list, I'm like, no, no, no. I like Arrival more than a lot of these movies. Um, and I think it certainly deserves a spot here in the in the top 15. Could even move up as we... Um, you know, move on years to come. But I think Amy Adams, that's one of her best performances ever. I think it's it's one of the best written films, even though it is based on a, you know, a short story, I think, or a novel um, or a novella. I don't know what it's based on. It's based on something. Um, but I think that what Denis Villeneuve does with the direction in this movie, it's unmatched. So that's number 15 with Arrival. Number 14, Star Wars The Force Awakens, until a certain other movie from 2018. This is the movie I saw the most times in the theaters ever, and that was uh, eight times I saw Force Awakens uh, in theaters. And it was, um, don't regret any of the times, I wish I could go see it again, because it is paced so effortlessly. Um, and J.J. Abrams does similar things with The Rise of Skywalker. People have pacing issues with that, but I, I don't think that um, they're as warranted in round two or round three of viewing it. Um, but yeah, The Force Awakens, it introduced us with all these new characters. It brought back the original crew. Um, it just, it did so, so wonderfully. So I uh, can't, couldn't help but push, put Force Awakens on this list. Number 13 is Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Another MCU film on the list. Won't be the last one either. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, what can I say? The Russo brothers have four spots on this list, and uh, they deserve every single one. Winter Soldier, perhaps the most different MCU movie to that date, at that point in 2014. Um, and then, of course, Guardians did things differently. Ant-Man did things differently. Infinity War, you know, Captain Marvel, Black Panther. But I felt like that movie kind of laid the groundwork for the MCU doing things very differently, giving the directors more reins. Um, it's also just effortlessly rewatchable re um, because it, it doesn't involve like as much CGI. It's more grounded in reality. So really, really love Winter Soldier. Number 12 is Sing Street. Again, what did I say earlier? I love movies about dreams and about music. Uh, and that movie has it all. The soundtrack is so, so re-listenable. Is that a phrase? I don't give a shit. It probably isn't. Um, but Drive It Like You Stole It. Um, the slower songs are really great. Just the chemistry in that movie with the leads. Uh, I could just rewatch that movie all day long. Number 11 is the last MCU movie on this list, and that is Avengers Endgame. The other movie that could, could certainly jump up um, as time goes on, but I think that this, you know, if you complain about anything, maybe you complain that there's no action until the third act, but I think that, you know, this type of movie, if it's closing out this chapter of the MCU, it needed to take its time. It needed to tell the, the story more uh, personally in the first hour and a half to two hours uh, for that last half hour, 45 minutes, to make as big of an impact as it did. Um, so Rooster Brothers' crowning achievement is Avengers Endgame. Should be nominated for things, but it's it's not. It's being left off all lists nowadays. So, what are you gonna do? But that's number eleven. Number ten is How to Train Your Dragon, the 2010 first film in the franchise. Special, special. Um, shaped my love for this franchise. I knew as soon as I saw this movie, I was gonna 
see every single one that they put out since. I, I need to go back and even rewatch the TV series and other short films they did for Netflix um, because I just love these characters so much. I love John Powell's score. Um, Hiccup and Toothless are two of the best characters on screen with, with the best chemistry uh, of this decade. Um, and it's just a story about a boy and his dog. It, it really is. And, and you know, if you have a dog, then you, I'm sure you can connect to this in some way, shape, or form. And uh, we'll talk more about this franchise later. Number nine is Gravity. Uh, could not believe how well the 3D worked in this movie. And, of course, Sandra Bullock and George Clooney give great performances. Ed Harris on the mic gives a good performance voiceover-wise. Um, but this is Sandra Bullock's movie. Uh, the 89-minute runtime or whatever it is flies by. Uh, it's another movie that's instantly rewatchable. Uh, I'm certainly glad I, I own the movie as well so I can just rewatch certain scenes because when that music kicks in from uh, Stephen Price, uh, it really, really flies. It makes this movie go. So that's number nine. Let's move on to number eight, and that is Toy Story 3. What an ending to the franchise until Toy Story 4, of course, but what an ending. Um, just so moving in a way that me at 16 years old didn't know I could feel while watching a movie. Because when you're young and you watch the Disney movies, of course, things make you sad, but I don't know if you really can understand the weight of the emotions you're feeling until later in life. And I feel like at 16, I kind of started to feel like this franchise, Pixar in general, they make adult movies that can also be enjoyed by kids. Whereas like Universal um, and Illumination and even Warner Brothers Animation, they make kids movies that can be enjoyed by adults. Pixar and Disney, for the most part, they make adult movies that can be enjoyed by kids. Uh, and I really respected that out of the Toy Story franchise. Uh, and it, it continued on in Toy Story 4 for sure, but Toy Story 3 is um, significantly better. And, you know, you can make an argument that it should have ended here. Number seven for me is Interstellar. Saw this movie four times in theaters, saw it in, in 70 millimeter IMAX, was blown away by it. Didn't really know what to think, though, the first viewing. And that's kind of, you know, that that's how it goes with Christopher Nolan movies. It's just, that's how things are. Um... But, yeah, it's just an, it was just further proved that no one knows exactly what he's doing when he does his own thing. So, uh, I'm, you know, it's another reason why I'm instantly, or, uh, I'm always going to be excited for every movie he does and, and very looking forward to um, Tenet. Wow, I couldn't even think of the name for a second. Um, so we'll see how that movie turns out. But Interstellar is inventive, it's ambitious, and he says that Tenet's going to be the most ambitious movie ever made. Well, his most ambitious movie. Uh, Interstellar, to me, was the most ambitious movie I had ever seen to that point. And it probably still is. Um, just the unique things it does. And I'm just so glad that Warner Brothers gives him like free reign on a lot of things. Because uh, I don't think scenes like the bookcase or any of the wormhole stuff, I don't know how that would fly with the mainstream audience with a studio that wasn't willing to give uh, their director free reigns. Uh, and they were with Interstellar. So number six would be The Way, Way Back. Another one of these very rewatchable movies. I try to watch it once a year. Uh, one of my favorite characters of all time was Sam Rockwell in that movie. It's a movie you want to live in, right? Uh, so I said the same thing when I was actually watching Marvelous Mrs. Maisel season two when they go to Catskills. I just want to live. I want to be there. Okay, and what's about a time in Hollywood? Like I want to be in those scenes with Brad Pitt. Like I just want to be there when these things are happening. Same thing with Way Way Back. I just want to travel to that. Uh, the waterways, water park, enjoy my time with these characters. It just feels like a very fun world to be in. And again, very rewatchable. Number five, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. My favorite movie of 2019, as we've already talked about, and my fifth favorite movie of the decade. Moving, emotional, uh, intricate times it's it, it times it can be riveting um but most of all it's just it's got so much heart to it and that music by john powell is something truly special so two how to train your dragon movies make it into the top 10 number four is mission impossible fallout my favorite action movie of the decade because i consider the one that's coming up 
more of a heist movie, if that's a tease. I don't consider it an action movie. It's more of like a heist thriller. This is a straight-up action movie. It never stops. Each action piece builds on the last one and makes it more insane. The fact that the Halo jump is like the first 25 minutes of the movie and things even get better after that just goes to show you how well Christopher McQuarrie and Tom Cruise work together. Um, yeah, I can't say enough about Mission Impossible Fallout. So let's move on to number three, and that is La La Land. I would say my my these top three could very well move any which way. I could have La La Land as number one, two, or three, and vice versa with the other two. Just a matter of what I felt today um, in, in this movie. I watched it again on Christmas Eve. Yeah, I, I can't. I, I just I don't even know how to describe it. This movie is something special. I feel like it changed my life in a way. Um, changed my love of filmmaking in general. Um, two of my favorite characters this decade, of course. Another movie I'd love to just live in. Part of the reason why I wanted to travel to L.A. in the first place. Just, I can't stand up about La La Land. I could do a whole podcast on my love for it. All the top scenes, my favorite songs, all that stuff. So, number two, though. Inception. And number one is The Dark Knight Rises. Well, I felt like I should mention them both together. At this point, you kind of know which ones are going to fall where. Um, and Inception is, is truly... And like I said, it's more of a heist film than an action film, right? It, it, there, it, I don't know that... In, there's a couple gunfights, but it's not really action-heavy. It's it's more of heist um, uh, intensity. There's thrilling vibes to it. Um, but that's I think it's more a tribute to Christopher Nolan's direction than it is perhaps like the actual like what's going on in the scenes it's just the way he tells the story and the way Hans Zimmer scores the film creates for scenes that feel like more action than they actually are um but again time is my favorite song of all time by Hans Zimmer plays at the end of this movie I think Inception now that I'm thinking about it maybe I should have ranked it as number one I don't even know but The Dark Knight Rises though to me that movie changed me uh, I saw that seven times in theaters. Again, I wish I can go back and watch it uh, another time in theaters. Uh, the last 15 minutes break me every single time, even though what happens ultimately isn't as catastrophic as you think at first. Um, the score is fantastic. I love the way they don't use Batman the entire movie. It's a Bruce Wayne movie with Batman in it at times. Um, yeah, I mean, this... this Dark Knight Rises, I don't know that it will ever be topped as my favorite film of all time. Just the way just the way that movie made me feel in theaters that first time. It just instantly, instantly went to the top. So that's it. A lot of movies to talk about there. About 52 minutes and counting here. Uh, 53 almost at this point. Um, but uh, that's it for the show. That's it for episode 37, I believe it is. That's it for 2019. Next week, it's going to be most anticipated of 2020. A lot of things to talk about next year. Maybe the podcast will change. Maybe there'll be more additions, more reviews, more news. I don't know. All of the above. Um, but for the rest of, of 2019, that'll be it. For the rest of the next eight hours or so, uh, that'll be it. But I cannot wait for 2020. So until next time. Have a movie-filled 2019.